I'm going to also take a second to tell you all about one of our show sponsors. That's Norse Fire Equipment out of North Dakota. Whenever I first started talking about having sponsors for the show, I really wanted it to be genuine businesses that are firefighter owned and operated and people that have good business ethics and have a good mission. Matt Vercota reached out to me from Norse Fire Equipment. He and I have spoken and, and talked back and forth a little bit, got to know each other. And he seems to fit that criteria. He's a full-time firefighter and founded this company in 2020 to provide a good place for firefighters to be able to get equipment that they needed to be able to do their job and have it at a good price and just good quality equipment instead of some of these places that want to sell you real cheap crap. For Y'all go over to NorseFireEquipment.com, coupon code COWBOY5. That'll get you 5% off on your online orders. All right, guys, on with the show. Hey guys, I'm going to take a second and tell you all about First Line Fire Service Training. It's a badass page on Facebook. I encourage every single one of you to go and follow them. Dennis is a retired fire chief. He's been a huge supporter of our show for since the very beginning. He's believed in Third Alarm Cowboys and our mission of making firefighters better. Dennis also has the same mission of being able to train firefighters, make them better. He's using all of his years of experience of 20 plus years, plus his military background to offer training ideas. He travels all around the country, speaking at different conferences, trying to help guys get better when it comes to their tactical ability, when it comes to their physical ability and everything in between. He's really pushing things to the limits, especially for an older guy that's retired. He's still getting up every single day putting his gear on, going out in the driveway, doing crazy-ass workouts that most of us couldn't even handle. He's still getting out there getting it done. He also does a weekly training video on first-line fire service training, offering up when every type of uh, tactical and operational skills that he's learned throughout his career through working from other people. One thing that's really impressive to me about Dennis is that he – owns the fact that most of the things that he has learned and sharing are things that he learned from other people and he's just passing that on. That's something that he and I have in common. He's taking all the information he took from his career and sharing it on to the next generation to make the next generation solid and better firefighters. That's a great mentality to have. He's the kind of guy that people should be listening to when it comes to learning about what to do in the fire service with their career, with their tactics, and with their operations. So y'all go check them out on Facebook, First Line Fire Service Training, LLC. Send Dennis a message that you heard about his business from our show. If you're putting on any kind of training conference, Dennis is the guy that you need to contact. Get him in the door and let him share his knowledge to make the people in your area that are attending the conference better. And just know that... I support his business and he supports mine. And that's the kind of people that we need in the fire service to make us all better and stronger. Dispatch to all units. This is a third alarm. Switch to the TAC channel. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the TAC channel. I'm your host, Heath Meredith. This is the Third Alarm Cowboys podcast. This is the podcast for firefighters. We talk about real-life situations, everything in your station from leadership, promotions, stuff at home like relationships, finances, you name it. We're going to talk about it, even some things that may be a little controversial, but that's real life, and that's what we're going to talk about on this show. 
Guys, this has been a long time coming. I am excited to tell y'all about the guests that we're bringing on today. We've been following each other on social media for a little while. That's how we kind of connected and started talking back and forth and comparing notes when it came to fire stuff and training stuff and business ideas and you name it. We've just been going back and forth. Um, it, it's really cool to uh, to basically connect with what I would call, he may take it to offense, but I would call an old head in the fire service and just being able to, to see that, that the mission of the Third Alarm Cowboys and what we're wanting to do and our mindset of trying to make firefighters better and better in the choices that we make and remembering that we the oath that we take to stand up for each other and stand up for the community that it goes you know on your days off and at the station everything in between and hearing it from an old head that he agrees with that message and that you know he wanted to jump on the show and give his input it, that means the world to me and so guys without further ado everybody welcome chief dennis riley Hey man, how, how's it going, man? Thanks for having me on. Uh, uh, it's a pleasure, and uh, no worries about the old head thing, man. I, I'm all in for that, man. I am what I am, and I'm all in. Good deal. Good deal. Well, I know a lot of guys, uh, sadly, they can't say that they made it to the old head status. Either they ended up you know, having to retire at a younger age, or they weren't being able to, to keep pushing it like you are. Um, you know, I'm just going to give a little shout-out for the guys to um, – Everybody, go follow your, you know, your Facebook page, uh, the First Line Fire Service Training, and go check out all the stuff. I really want to give you kudos before we ever even really get going. The um, the content that you're putting out for your training videos—that's what really caught my eye. And one of the biggest things about that that was important to me is the fact that most of, of the information that you're sharing, you're very open and honest in the fact that it's not stuff that you invented. It's not you reinventing the wheel. It's knowledge that you've gained throughout your career, and you take it in your responsibility to pass it down to the younger guys. And that is so cool to me that you have that level of transparency and truthfulness in the message that you're giving instead of like so many of these other guys are trying to reinvent the wheel and make their millions on trying to claim some shit that they didn't really invent so i just wanted to give you a shout out on that and i just think that that's the coolest thing ever well thanks man you know i appreciate that i mean you know i am an old school guy so you know when i was coming up back in you know when we were still riding on tailboards and we still had you know hip boots and long rubber coats there was none of this ego i'm out to make a name for myself there was no social media there wasn't facebook there wasn't YouTube. There wasn't any of that stuff. What it was was a bunch of hard-hitting, all-in professionals that taught the next generation to take their place because those guys knew that, you know, there was going to come a time where they walked out the door and they were invested in the fire service. They weren't invested in themselves. They were invested in the fire service. They were invested in their communities and their organizations, and they saw their responsibility in part to pass along the knowledge to the next generation coming up. And it's knowledge, you know, if you, you know, you referenced, you know, some of my videos and whatever, none of that stuff's coming out of the Red Book. You know, and every time I do a video, I'm just hoping that the red books catch on fire because you're not teaching people what they need to know to be effective at Mrs. Smith's house at three o'clock in the morning. So I'm taking what these other guys 
and women and organizations invested in me and just trying to share it with that next generation. Because, you know, one of these days, I'm not going to be in the business anymore, and I want the folks coming to my emergency. I want the folks going to my grandkids' emergency to have the information that I have that may very well make a difference. So that's what it's all about, man. It's not about Dennis. It's not about my company. It's about making the service better. Matt, I completely agree. Um, that's definitely one thing that I know that you've preached on on your platform, and it really resonated with me. I know you've heard me. That's that's really one of my biggest complaints with today's fire service is the in these guys that it's crazy to me. They even live. Some of them live in the communities for, with the fire departments that they work for, and they could give two shits about the next generation. And I'm like, man. You live in this town. The next generation coming up is who's going to be responding to your house when you're old and decrepit and got diabetes and you're laid up in your house calling 911. The guys that you very well could be training today may be the ones coming to save you or your wife or your husband's life in the next 10 years, and you don't even care. Yep. Well, you know, when I retired, you know, when I left active duty, you know, I, I felt like I still had some, I still had some energy left. I still wanted to give back to the service that was, you know, so good to me. And, and I, you know, and I see both sides of the coin. I see exactly what you described, but I see a lot of people out there who are there for the right reason, who are hungry, who want the knowledge, who want, you know, the coaching and the mentoring. So as long as I still have it in me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna feed those people. And little by little, I, I, I was talking to a friend of mine just the other day about this, you know, little by little, one person at a time, we're going to take the fire service back. We're going to make the fire service what it was 40 years ago with the advantage of all the technology and all the equipment and all the advances that we've made. But we're going to, we're going to build the fire service back into that service before self. We're proud to be public servants. We're going to put the citizens first. We're going to, you know, we're going to live up to our oath. We're doing all those things and it's happening. I see it. We just have to keep making the push and that's you know and that's what i'm trying to do oh man you're getting me fired up now uh you're just absolutely preaching to my soul uh that's that is what made me start the third alarm cowboys that is exactly 100 percent the same mission that i'm going about um you know, I, I just happen to be in a different region uh, of the United Ooh. States than you, and and that is exactly what we're trying to do: is bring bring a team together to build up and and take it back. Um, I know. Next, I want to dive in. You kind of give the the summary and stuff of your uh, of your career and everything, but uh, you know, that's that's one thing that I have seen. I've, I haven't been in near like you have, um, but I've got fifteen years almost under my belt, and. In that 15 years, there has been such a drastic change in the culture of the fire service when it comes to that exact mentality that you're saying. And that's something that, you know, I, I ask a lot of guys of your generation, even some of the chiefs that I work for that, that had a real good level head and stuff. What, what time period would you say that you started seeing that transition of, of basically a, what I would call a downhill slope when it came to that mindset? Um, was there a specific time period that you could kind of nail that down to maybe to just give us a little context to see what was going on, maybe culturally or whatever that could perhaps be the problem that we need to kind of get ahead of, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I, I don't necessarily think that it was a, pick, a particular time period or a particular generation. I'll come at it this way. Okay. Everybody, you know, everybody wants to complain about the dude who just parks his ass in the recliner for 24 hours and doesn't want to move. Yeah, everybody wants to complain about it. Every fire department's got one of them, or a couple of them. And that's a big issue, and I think that's what we're talking about. But let me throw this out there. There is not a single person who interviewed for a, fire, for a firefighter's job who walked in and said, Hey, Chief, I'm going to be straight up with you. I'm going to give you the bare minimum for 365 days. I'm going to pass with a 70. I'm going to fly underneath the radar. And on the 366th day, I'm going to turn into the biggest bag of shit this side of creation. And I'm going to ride the train until I get my pension. Nobody said that in the interview. So if we're complaining about those type of people in the firehouse, and I know we are because I hear it all the time, mm-hmm. well, that's a learned behavior. That's, that's yeah. a learned behavior. And if we want to talk about the problems culturally, what we need to do is look at the current generation of leadership. Because leadership either allows it to happen or they put the brakes on it. And there's plenty of great examples of good leadership out there. And we know there's a thousand examples of bad leadership. So I put it right on that, man. I put it on the senior the senior firefighters on the company, the company officers, and the chiefs who are still on shift work. If they're doing their job, and they're doing their job the right way, what I just described isn't going to happen because they're not going to tolerate it. And if it's happening, it's because it's tolerated. Jocko says all the time, what you accept becomes your standard. So when we talk about these problems in the fire service, about people you know, not being motivated about this, that, and the other thing, I put it on supervision. I don't put it on, I don't put it on the people because the people learn based on the environment that they're in. And quite honestly, if I'm a new guy and I walk in the firehouse and everybody's dozing in the recliners, it's a real hard thing for me to stand up and say, hey, let's go out and train. Now, hopefully, people would have the courage to do that. But, I mean, let's, let, let's face it, man. What's the real world? Man, I'm, I'm, a, I'm this 24, 25-year-old cat, man. I got a wife. She's staying at home. I got two kids. This is my dream job. And, man, I got to fit in. I got to figure out how I got to fit in. So the challenge is how do you fit in in that environment and not compromise yourself. And that's a whole other discussion that, you know, we can certainly unpack. But the, but the problems a lot of times we see in the firehouse, where are the senior firefighters and where are the officers? And I think that's what it comes down to. No, I couldn't agree more. I absolutely couldn't agree more. I, I actually... I had a talk uh, with my my current assistant chief at my my new part time. We had a discussion when it came to uh, company officers and that exact thing of not feeling motivated to work out on duty, not feeling motivated to get out there and train. And you know, I I know you're living in Florida, and so it's a lot of the same dynamics there as it is here. It's hot as shit during the summer, so getting outside and yeah. training in the parking lot is absolutely not fun. 
And, uh, yeah. you know, I, I hear so many guys that really use that as a handicap, which it, it is a fine line. I will give 100% credit on it is a fine line of what is – what is good training and getting getting your reps in, and what is pushing the envelope that could potentially you know hurt somebody on, on the sure. heat exhaustion side or whatever? Just because yeah. you know it, right now it's been 104, 105 in Texas with a heat index of like 115 going on for almost a month now. So yeah. you do have to be careful. But the chief and I were going back and forth on that, and and one I I kind of butted in. I'll, I'll admit. So at this department, you know, I'm still rookie status. And so I'm I'm doing what I need to do, sitting quiet in the corner and letting yeah. the seniors talk with the chief, and they're going back and yeah. forth in the discussion. Uh, but the climate there and the environment there is very much so of we don't care if you're a day one guy here or we don't care if you've been here for 100 years. Your voice matters. So, um, you know, chief comes around, he asked me, and I said, well, chief, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. This is kind of one of my what I would call specialties or, or passion areas, if you will. And I could tell you that this entire solution or the solution to your problem that you're speaking of when it comes to your company offers can be fixed with one of two things. For one, as a company officer, when I sat in that seat for the last eight years, I always, and, and you could call it ego, you could call it pride, you could call it whatever you want to, but it was a driving force for me, and I wanted my crew to be the baddest fucking crew at the department. I wanted, when the fire broke out, for the chief to look at my crew and say, go put the fire out. I wanted that yep. reputation out of my guys to have that level of performance, and the only way we got that was by getting out there and training. I mean, some of my guys message me now, years later, and they're like, man, we hated you during those training periods because you were so harsh but now we get it because they've gone on they've gone to other departments and they they literally are a are hundred steps beyond everyone else because i pushed them to the max and it was really all due to my ego of wanting to be the best crew as a company officer and then an, the other way of fixing that is playing the emotions on the company officers and and making them have to attend some of these firefighter funerals where honestly it came down to it was a bad judgment call on the officer's part. And then now that officer's got to look at that wife or husband or those kids in the face and know it was my lacking of an officer that cost this person their life. And you can't get your life back. Nope. So you either have to play it in my mind, you got to play it on that, on that, you know, ego and pride of being the best side of wanting to have the best performance in the department, or you play on the emotional side. But either way, you're getting these people to realize the decisions that they're making, whether it's getting up out of that, off that lazy boy and, and going outside, the decisions that they're making completely affect all those things. Yeah. Um, so, so you know, I you know, I go a couple ways on this. I I tell I tell the people in my command all the time, where you want to come into your house, right? Where you want to come into your emergency. I mean, it's your wife, it's your kids, it's your mother, it's your dad, it's your grandparents. What do you want coming? To your emergency, are you are you willing to settle for second best coming to your emergency? And no one's going to say yes. Yeah, give give me the third string. That would be okay. <laughs> so if you want that at your house, and you've taken an oath to do your duty to the best of your ability, doesn't that mean that we got to push so that we're giving to the community what we want coming to our emergency? That's exactly right. I mean, and, and if well, you are that guy and that's okay with that, uh, you need to look in the mirror. <laughs> yeah. You need to desperately well, yeah. look in the mirror. 
Well, here's another thing for officers. You know, I, you know when, I, when I was riding on the company and when I was a shift commander, you know, and, and we had lousy weather in New Jersey, man. We, you know, we had, you know, 101 degrees and 100% humidity. Here's the way we schedule our day, guys. We're going to come in and... Uh, you know, at one minute after shift change, we're hitting it hard, bro. We're going to get our ready checks in. We're going to get everything squared away. As soon as that's done, we're going to knock out an hour drill in the morning when it's when it hasn't gotten to be 115 degrees. And then, you know what? It's going to be about 10 o'clock, and, man, we're done. You know, we're done until after lunch. We're just going to sit back and cruise because we knocked out, you know, we knocked out the morning duties, we, we checked the rig, and we went right into training. Or sometimes, hey, guys, we're knocking off at 2 o'clock, man. Eat a light dinner because when the sun goes down, we're going to train. But I'm giving you that time right now, man. I'm the boss. You know, take your combat naps. Do whatever you want, man. I'll... Hey, if the boss has got an issue with it, I'm I own the firehouse. I'm the officer. I'll take it on the chin. Chill out, relax, and we're going to go out and train a little bit tonight when the sun goes down and it's bearable. Because I don't want to burn you guys out if we do have that emergency. But we got to train and we got to get outside some. You know, I mean, I'm not an advocate. You know, I, I do my PT in the morning, man. It's like 85 degrees down here. The sun is brutal, man. We got high humidity. I'm not going to go out and run four miles at three in the afternoon. I'm going to put myself in a hospital. That's being stupid. Right. But I do stuff in the morning and I do stuff in the evening where I've acclimatized myself to the environment. And you know what? When we promote officers, we got to promote smart, thinking people that can figure that out. And can say, okay, guys, I, you know, I, I tell people who promote, man, you got, you have got to be good at time management. And if you suck at time management, you're going to suck at being an officer. And you know, being good at time management is looking at this 24 hours and appreciating the fact there's a big part of that 24 hours. I want to give back to the guys and the women who are working for me because they need to rest, they need to study, they need to do all these other type of things. But I'm going to make sure that I, and, and most folks that I know, they're working 48s now. So mm -hmm. as the boss, I'm going to ta take an hour out of each 24 segment. Now some, day, some cycles, I'm going to combine them together and we're going to do a two-hour drill. But I'm going to take ownership of an hour out of the 24-hour day to make sure that my folks are ready. And I'm going to have some, I'm going to have some empathy for the people that are working for me. I'm going to have some appreciation for the environment and the summers and the winters and all that other type of stuff. But I'm going to figure out a way that we're going to, you know, we're going to go hard for an hour, you know, to make sure that we're ready for Mrs. Smith's emergency. And the folks who say, well, we can't do it. I, I mean, look, I, I'm in my 49th year. I've been a chief officer for 30 years. There's not a single page out of the excuse playbook <laughs> I haven't heard before. 
So you can line up with all these excuses. Anybody that wants to, you know, message me or whatever, you give me all your excuses, and I'm telling you right now, I'm going to have an answer for every one of them. Because if you're the boss and you're being true to your responsibility, you're a problem solver, and you're going to figure it out, and you're going to make it happen. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I honestly could not agree more. Uh, I I love the fact that you, you laid that up on that officers have to uh, basically yeah. have to have a damn brain. Um, they have yeah. to think. They have to problem solve. They have to look at every incident and every day and every individual different. Uh, this cookie cutter standardization bullshit of the fire service is over the last 10 years has completely drove me insane. Uh, when yeah. we have policies written that say you must work out from this time to this time, you must train from this time to this time. It leaves no interpretation for exactly what you're talking about. And that shit, it honestly, it drives me crazy because as an officer, you should be the brain. I mean, at that point, yeah. I, I used to laugh at the old heads. They would say, you know, when they were firefighters or EOs, they would say, I don't know, they're paying me from the neck down. But when you get to that captain spot, they're paying you from the neck up. Uh, yeah. to make the decisions and and that is spot on i mean one thing that i used to um one thing i used to like to do especially during during shitty weather times is we work i worked 48s uh 48 on 96 off so you worked four shifts a month well yeah. when we would have those shitty shitty months and uh shitty weather months one thing we would do is so for the say three shifts out of that month we would do some inside ac training whether it was some air pack familiarization or going over tools or even tabletop tactical um conversations and going back and forth running through some different different scenarios and all that kind of stuff yeah. and then like a whatever saturday we worked for that month then we would go out and do like a night drill that may last three four hours that was a full-on evolution but it protected us from the elements in that aspect and you got essentially your your hands-on hours for the month knocked out but it was just in a in a way that didn't put anybody didn't put anybody in a compromising spot as far as the elements and stuff um yep that was something that i like to do and and to be perfectly honest a lot of the drills that i like to do they take longer than an hour so it worked yeah. out for me because i kind of have always had the mentality that you know, these guys were hiring, they're already been through basic fire academy, so they know their basic level of stuff. So now it's time for true job application. And I found when it came to say you want to do, you know, stretching stretching apartment lays, hooking in high rise packs and all that kind of stuff, by the time you do those evolutions with the whole crew and everybody kind of runs through it a couple of times and stuff, you're over more than an hour. Sometimes that shit, you know, especially if you're doing the evolution where you're keeping your EO familiar and actually doing true pump ops during it. It, it takes way longer than an hour. Sometimes it's three or four right there. So just kind of utilizing your time management, like you were saying, to get that stuff knocked out. And you're adding in a different element of nighttime, having to operate yeah. under your light towers or whatever, yeah. which in the areas that I worked, um, just, you know, I worked in the hood the majority of my career. And the way, I, I don't know what it is, but the way that those areas operate, the majority of your calls were all at night. Uh, folks, sure. folks weren't burning shit during the day. Really, it was always late at night, so we always had that nighttime element. So training in that nighttime element was just that much more beneficial. So, so another thing that I always did as an officer, and my advice, and my advice to officers and those who are coming up 
and want to eventually be an officer, if you do quality training, I mean, and just not, you know, not, not some little, you know, bullshit drill. If you're doing quality training, it's going to tell you exactly who you have in your command. Because if you're doing quality training, the go-getters, the folks you want, you, you want to go to fires with, they're going to say, hey, that was great. Can we do it again? And the slugs and the mutts, they're the ones that are going to try to find a place to hide. Mm-hmm. And I say, this, uh, I say this in a lecture. You know, an officer should never use training as either a reward or a punishment. It's an essential part of your job. But if you're an officer and you're doing quality training, that allows you to, to kind of focus in on your folks. And, you know, you're going to be able to figure out who you got to spend a little extra time with. And then you're going to also figure out who you're going to be able to trust and depend. But it's got to be quality training. You just can't do, you just can't do BS stuff. Mm-mm. On the other side. Now, on the other side of that, if we want to talk about excellence, you know, you realize that the apparatus in the District of Columbia do not have map books in them? Really? There's, there's no map books. Because if you promote up to a technician, you have to, you have to take a street test on the streets in your first, second, and third due, along with hydrant locations and standpipe connections and that's part of the technician process and the technicians are their aos okay and they don't use map books they don't use map books you got to pass a test so what that means is now this is old school dc now i'm not i'm not sure that they're still doing this but i know in recent history this is the way they wrote so everybody knew the streets they knew the streets they knew the block numbers they could, you know, they would get after it, and you know, you got like thirty-three engines in the district. You've got sixteen trucks, so the uh, technicians, the AOs on the trucks, both the tiller and the chauffeur, they know more streets than just an engine guy. <laughs> and you know, and you know what? Now, some people say that's just bullshit train, whatever. Hey, they know. They know the district, okay? You know, that's part of excellence. That's part of as soon as an address comes in, I know right where it is, man. I know where the plug is. I know where the address is. And they know it because they invest the time, because they talk about critical skills. They talk about critical knowledge, knowing the district. You know, they they just, because I worked in a place where they would do street tests just to mess with new people they used to call it stump the chump mm. well you know if i'm coming to if i'm coming to your firehouse and you know this is my dream job this is all i've ever wanted to do all my life man i'm highly motivated i'm ready to go when you get me out in the bay on my fifth shift and you start quizzing me on streets calling me a chump what do you think that you know what's that going to what's that going to do to that person now when they come in the firehouse and they say, hey, man, this is all about excellence. Everything we do, we strive for excellence. We know our district. We know our job. We know our writing positions. We know our tools. And the expectation is over the course of time, you're going to learn the streets. And we're going to help you. And we're going to give you 
what you need to be successful, and we're going to position you to be successful, and then you have to take advantage of it. You're doing the same thing, but it comes from two different angles, and it makes a big, big difference. Oh, I, yeah, I was going to say, just sitting there, I, I'm picturing myself in those do, two different stations of the two yep. different mindsets. And, yep. you know, you could call me a millennial, you could call me whatever you want, because uh, I've probably been called worse by better. But um, if I walk into those two different dynamics just with who I am, man, I'm shutting off on y'all. Because, I mean, yeah. if, if you have that attitude when I'm there to really try to do my best and you're you're literally setting me up for failure... I basically, yep. I'm going to have the attitude of fuck you, bro. Like, yeah. uh, and, and that may be a character flaw on my part. It honestly could be, but that, that's honestly just how I feel about stuff. I, I'm disgusted when I hear of officers, chiefs, anything like that, setting guys up for failure because really and truly all you're doing is shooting yourself in the foot. You get that, that 30 seconds of gratification to say, oh, well, hell, I know more than him. But if it's a day, yeah. a day five rookie coming in, well, shit, you should know more than him. So what are you getting? You're like, okay, well, you know, a kindergartner can't color inside the lines, but I can, so I'm smarter than a kindergartner? <laughs> yep. I mean, what, what level of satisfaction is that? Well, you know, it just goes back to what we talked about in the very beginning, and there's people in the fire service that are in it for the right reason, and there's people who are in it for their ego. And, you know, and that's what those guys are, man. I mean, I, I've seen them before. I've worked for them. I've worked with them, and I've had them work for me. And I've seen it, man. I've seen it for 49 years. It's, it, I mean, it, it's out there. So, you know, if you're a boss, think about that. If you're a boss, and that's going on in your firehouse, don't tolerate it. Put a stop to it, because you are the boss. If you're a chief officer on shift work, meet with your officers and weigh these expectations out and tell everybody, this is not acceptable behavior. I don't want it happening. You supervise your companies. And don't make me be the chief to come down and fix your firehouse because this nonsense is going on. We need to take these people that the fire academy is giving us and we need to develop them to their full potential. And they're not going to get there if all we want to do is flower them and call them chumps and make them clean all day long and, and hide paper clips on top of the door frames <laughs> and all the, all the other nonsense that's going on. And I'm not talking about any one place in particular. I'm, I've seen this for decades. I've seen this in really good fire departments that just happen to have a couple poor officers at a firehouse and that's the way that firehouse runs as opposed to the entire fire department and I've seen other places where you know, hey, that's just the culture man, that's just that's just the way we do it here. Well, that's not doing anything for Mrs. Smith at her emergency. So, you know, put that shit away and let's start working with our people to develop the best force that we can. 100%. Uh, <laughs> you couldn't have said it any better. And the fact that, that I mean, honestly, the fact that it's, that's coming from a chief, you are yeah. a chief. I mean, you earn that title. You put the work in. Hell, I see your ass every day. You're getting out there and posting the videos. Guys, for those of you that haven't followed him on Facebook, I mean, he's an old head. When I say he's an old head, he's an old head and is a chief, held the rank, but he's still getting out there. And if you want to 
picture yourself and not under and you know basically make yourself feel like hey I need to step my game up you need to go follow Dennis's business page because the reality is is he's getting out there posting a PT video of himself out there in gear with air pack putting it in the work in his damn driveway and this man's retired he doesn't have to be doing this shit, but he's holding himself to that level of accountability, even at his age, even after being a chief and everything in between. And to hear that that is your mindset of being a guy that's been around 49 years and seeing that there is a obvious, I mean, we basically there's an obvious problem that is being recognized by guys in my generation, which is the younger guys, and then, then the older guys, you're seeing it, and it's like, okay, yeah, absolutely. We are going to have to get ahead of this, and yep. and basically, we're going to have to take it over. I love that you said a, a fire department take back, because that is literally like my, that's one of my favorite sayings when it comes to that, because that is the reality. It's a, it's a hostile take back. When you have people that their mindset is that, you know, coming in and trying to, I, I, I like to call those gotcha, gotcha captains. They like to set yeah. their people up to get them. They're not benefiting anybody because when, if your mindset is on, oh, well, they didn't clean on top of this picture frame because that paperclip's still there, your mind's, if, you, if you're thinking in that process, then your mind is not on running emergency incidents. You can't, yep. you I mean, you really can't do both. You just, that's not, if you're spending your time worrying about paper clips on picture frames, then you're not spending your time getting in the reps, getting in the, in the work of the shit that truly matters. Whether it's even, you know, how many times we've seen guys that get on scene, they can't open up a stair chair, but I bet yeah. you go to their station and they probably have, you know, they've got a captain that's all about making sure the station looks like Disneyland and mopped a hundred percent and clean to you know yeah. shine polished bullshit but they haven't gone over and done simple things like open up a, open up the stair chair and you you sitting there on scene and you look like a dumbass because that is a, a something you don't use necessarily a whole lot but when you need it you fucking need it you need it yeah. <laughs> and uh so it's just yeah, it's you, crazy yeah. to me you know there's another element of that too that you know i've seen a hundred times when you start talking about excellence and, you know, you, you're, you're living, you know, that life to be excellent, then it translates to everything. So that's the culture I'm building in my firehouse. I don't really need to tell my folks to clean because if we're, <laughs> if we're driving for excellence, we're driving for excellence in everything that we do. And those guys don't want to live in a shit house, hundred percent. Yeah, when when we build that culture, when we build that environment, they'll clean. They'll they'll keep the place clean because they have pride, and they also know that if we let it go, we're going to have to spend a bunch of time cleaning, which is going to take away from our training time. And the culture in those firehouses are, we want to train. We want to be the best. So they're going to jump on that stuff before you even have to tell them. All you got to do is treat them like adults, treat them like professionals, and insist on excellence in everything. And they'll grab the message. And 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 there's going to be one or two that don't grab the message. Well, those are the science projects. Those are the ones you get paid to supervise. <laughs> and you're just going to have to drill down on them and say, hey, look, bro, at some point in time, I've made my expectations clear. I keep my notes. Look, you're either going to get with the program or I'm going to run this up to the boss 
and you don't want to talk to the boss about why you're not getting your job done. You know, and, and if the guy just kind of blows you off, well, then you know what? That's a person that doesn't deserve the privilege of being a fireman anyhow. And that's a person you don't want to put your life in their hands. So be the boss, be an officer, do the right thing, build the culture, and a lot of these other things will eventually sort themselves out. Absolutely. That's... That's a, a perfect way to put that. Absolutely perfect way to put that. So let's uh, let's transition a little bit. I, it's so easy to talk to you about all this stuff because uh, yeah, I've been through it. You've been through it, and it's it's so cool to me. But I want to give the uh, the listeners a, just basically a little lowdown on you. I know you served some time in the military and stuff like that. If you want to yep. uh, just kind of kind of basically work through your life, like where'd you grow up and and all that. Well, I, I grew up out on uh, Long Island, uh, outside New York City. I started as a, as a junior volunteer fireman in uh, Patchog, uh, which is out in the middle of Suffolk County. I went in the Army. I spent six years at Fort Bragg. Uh, I volunteered while I was still in the Army. And uh, the day that I got out of service, service I went to work full-time for EMS in Cumberland County down in North Carolina. And then from there, I went to uh, Durham, North Carolina as a firefighter. Uh, I left there. I went to Cherry Hill, New Jersey as a uh, training officer, as a captain. Uh, we merged six fire districts in Cherry Hill, turned it into a big fire department, and I got promoted. I ended up being a battalion chief for almost 10 years. I was a, I was a watch commander uh, with one of our uh, operational platoons. Uh, retired, went to work for uh, Blackwater Security overseas in Iraq and Afghanistan for a little bit, uh, came back home, and uh, I've been working as a fire chief in Missouri, California, and Kansas until I retired this past October. Wow. All right. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. that, uh, that's a pretty quick summary. Uh, we'll just backtracking a little bit on it. Uh, so any of those transitions, you're probably one of the few people that I've met that actually have gone from state to state like that and worked. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that? What I mean obviously the process of having to transfer your certifications and everything like that, but going from state to state, uh, as far as fire department culture, I mean, the only place I've ever worked is is Texas. And I laugh because I only hold a Texas, uh, EMT certification. I I let my national registry go. I I never renewed it, stuff like that. And I joke all the time and basically say, you know, if I got to leave Texas to do this, I'm going to do something else. Um, yeah, I can. And, uh, so I'm just kind of curious what going from state to state, working for different fire departments the overall culture of the fire service what's it truly like you know going it, basically i mean you're talking about two completely different regions from yeah. from the carolinas to kansas missouri up to new jersey all that like what's it like when it, you start going from those different areas and stuff well you know the, the east coast you know up you know the east coast through the midwest is pretty much the same when you get out into california Things get a little bit strange out there on the West Coast, and I, and I wouldn't really say strange. It's just they, they tend to be a little more parochial, you know. It's you know, you, you, for the most part, you got to be a California guy to fit in out in California. And you know, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just kind of saying it is what it is. But I will say that. No matter where I've been, you know, in North Carolina, 
in Jersey, in Missouri, in Kansas, in California. Good firemen are just good firemen. And, you know, if you sat down and made a list of what you think makes up a good fireman, you're going to find them in any fire department you go to. I mean, it's just, it just comes down to that. And, you know, good firemen, the bottom line, are good people. You know, they, they've got a moral compass. They believe in doing the right thing. They're dedicated to their profession. They're good team players. You know, they're just, they're just good people. And, you know, I would say that, you know, it's not that big a deal moving from place to place because the other advantage that you have when you move is you don't have any allegiance to anybody. You don't have any of the baggage. Hey, you know, I walk through the door and the guy says, hey, man, that guy's an asshole. Well, you know, okay, maybe he is, but that's your impression of him. I don't know the guy, so especially in my position, I've always moved around as an officer, so I've always been able to give everybody a clean slate. And you know what? I had a couple occasions where I walked through the door and somebody said, hey, man, that dude's an asshole. And like three months later, I'm saying to myself, yeah, that guy's an asshole. You know? <laughs> but I was, able, you know, I was able to make my own impression. So I think that, you know, that's the biggest thing that I see. And like I said, the bottom line is, you know, Good people are good people. It doesn't matter if they live in New Jersey or in California. A good person is a good person. And if you're a good person, everything else flows. I don't know of a single, what I call an outstanding fireman, who's a shitbag person. I just don't know. I, I, you know, I maybe I'm maybe I'm living a chair, you know, a gifted life. You know, maybe I'm walking around with blinders on, but I don't know. I've all the good firemen I know, and I know a ton of good firemen. They're all good people. So, you know, I would say that you know, if you're moving around, if you're thinking about moving around, just think about that. I mean, if you're a good person. Good people will gravitate to you. If you're if you walk into a new organization and you're a good person, you demonstrate you're a good person not by what you say but by what you do, the good people are going to put an arm around you and they're gonna help you migrate and transition into that organization. And quite honestly, that's what's happened to me. Okay. Um yeah, you know, the one of the, the biggest things that I I guess the, one of the biggest missions of my platform with the Third Alarm Cowboys and this podcast has been from the beginning about trying to just educate people on on making better decisions. You know, I've made my mistakes in life. I've done things that, that I'm not perfect in this, that, and the other. Uh, but one thing I, I've grown into and in trying to do is by trying to just make those better choices, whether it's you know whether it comes down to morality choices or financial choices relationship yep. choices just trying to be genuine and honest and sticking to a level of integrity both on and off the job and that's something that's very important to me to to educate to firefighters because we are so much in the public view you know i, I joke on this show especially like the fourth of july show i told everybody like hey you know if you're gonna drink have fun do your thing but don't go drink and drive or do anything stupid because no matter yeah. what you do Every fucking news article ends up saying, firefighter of city of such and such arrested for such and such. 
I mean, yep. it never fails. The decisions that you make are so much in the public eye, whether it's guys, you know, getting getting busted, getting pictures took of them post, posted on Facebook of them having women coming by the station at night, or guys getting in trouble for making bad financial choices and, you know, basically they're stealing or, or whatever you want to call it. All that stuff, yeah. it always ends up firefighters such and such did such and such. And Absolutely. That has, it's it's always just burned my ass because guys got to think about that stuff. You know, it, to me, it's, it, it's not a complicated thing, but it seems like, I, I guess it, guys feel like they can actually live maybe two lives. Uh, you know, and I was raised up doing cowboy shit, doing outlaw shit. I've done my fair share of whatever you want to name it. I've probably done it. But the reality of it is, is I also know that no matter what I do, I'm going to have that stigma of being a firefighter because everyone knows that's what I am. And so you're going to carry that with you, even in the choices that you make. And it affects everybody because you get popped for, say you're working for a city and you get in trouble for doing something. Well, then every single firefighter that works for that city, when it hits that headline, the public is going to think they all have that exact same character. So, yep. That's something that I've really wanted to kind of hit home with guys to make people start trying to understand that the choices that you make truly matter. And we all, none of us are Jesus. We not, none of us are perfect. But if you just try to do the right thing on a day-to-day -day basis, you're going to turn out okay. It's going to be okay. You're not going to shed any bad light on anybody. You're not going to, you know, hurt the reputation of the fire service or your department or your family. Uh, you know, one thing that's always been really kind of important to me is every set of gear that I wore had my name on the back of it. And yep. so whatever I did, I represented my daddy's name. And that was always important to me. My dad had a, has a, has a great reputation in the, in the area that we live in, in Texas of being a hardworking, genuine man. And so if I'm out running around acting a fool or getting in trouble for shit or whatever, then it affects his reputation. And that was always insanely important to me growing up. And it's just amplified now that I'm carrying on that reputation of being a firefighter because, I mean, I don't even know right now how many firefighters there are in the United States. But every single one of us is an example of all of us. Yep. And, uh, and I think, yeah, I mean, absolutely, man. I, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, and the other thing, too, is, you know, and I say this in, I say this in one of my presentations, that, you know, we represent those who have gone before us. So, you know, you know, look, look at those two people, look at the two firefighters that died in Houston in the McDonald's fire. I know a lot of Houston I know a lot of Houston firefighters. They tell me was found four or five foot away from the door, pointed toward the other person with a pair of wire cutters in her hand, which means she was trying to get him out and she gave her life to save somebody else well you know what we represent her right now because we're firefighters we we represent you know all the people that died in 9-11 we represent the people that you know that gave their lives in key cook iowa trying to save those kids the list goes on and on and on so we represent those people so don't do anything that's going to tarnish them i've always said my i've always said to people in my command listen there's a couple of un unrecoverables don't lie 
don't steal from us, and don't dishonor the organization or the profession. If you do those things, you're going to have some big problems with me. If you stay out of those four hot-button issues, we can fix anything else if you'll take responsibility for your actions. But don't lie, don't steal, don't dishonor the organization, and don't dishonor our profession. And I think it's simple, easy advice. Hell yeah. (laughs) It is. It's solid. I mean, that should be... Uh, that should, to me, honestly, uh, that should be common sense. But I know it's not, and so that's why guys like me, and you know, I'm yeah. I'm small compared to like you or Mo Davis or Clyde Gordon. You know, all these guys. I, I know that you're you know you're doing the training circuit with a lot of these guys. So you know, we kind of cross paths in a sense of, of reputations when it comes to that because a lot of those guys I've known them for years and or worked for them or worked around them, and it's amazing to me that all these guys are literally preaching that, they're saying that exact same stuff, and yet we have, uh, I'm going to get into the hard shit now because I want your opinion of being a fire chief. We're getting into a culture now of, I would say, now I I could be exaggerating a little bit or just being a little pessimistic when this, which normally I'm a, I'm a uh, optimist when it comes to stuff, except for in this one category. But I feel like maybe seven to eight out of every ten fire chiefs are completely compromised when it comes to those core values that you just listed. And that's a major problem to me. And so the only thing I really know to do is try to change the next generation that that all the shit they're being shown and demonstrated to the example that's being shown to them right now is absolutely against everything that those core values stand against or stand for. Um, but I would love to know your take on that on, on being, I, I like to say, you know, I, I made it to the, to the captain level. That's his, that's as high as I climbed. Uh, and then I was a ride up battalion chief for about three years, you know, when, whenever, uh, it was needed overtime or whatever. I rode up for about three years. But actually getting up into that chief realm, uh, I never actually truly did that. So I don't know what they talk about at that level. I don't know what happens in the secret secret meetings of the chief world. But yeah. where where is that mindset of those core values? Because that 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 is spot on for how I view the fire service in a in an everyday aspect. Where is that? when it comes to a lot of these administrations and how they're conducting business? Well, you know, I, I don't really know the percentages. I, I mean, you know, I, I never fit in good at those meetings because I was always, you know, throwing something out there and they would just look at me like I was from Mars. So I ended up skipping a lot of those meetings. I'll say that the chiefs that I hang out with all look at things the way that I do. Now, I move in a small circle, so I'm not going to say that's representative of what's going on in the profession as a whole. And I know there's a lot of problems in the chief officer rank, but I think, you know, you're, you're absolutely right where, you know, the real answer is not necessarily the chief who's there now, but what's that next generation going to be like? And if we go back to the things that I talked about, in the very beginning, if we take if we take command of our firehouse, we manage our days, we set expectations, we talk about excellence. You know that you know people. A lot of times, people mold themselves in the first couple of years of their career, and if we're driving that positive message, that's what that's how those 
that's how they're going to grow through their career. So I would say if there's problems with a current chief, you know, that, that's for the city manager and the city council to deal with. Our issue, those of us who are in the organization, is what can we do to make that next generation better? You know, and I think that's where we have to focus. And then, you know, I know I've talked a lot about company officers, but, hey, there's a whole bunch of shift work chiefs out there. And, man, I will, I will say from, in my opinion, of all the ranks that I had, I feel I had the most influence as a battalion chief on shift work than any other position. I think I had more influence in that position that I did as an assistant chief, as the operations chief, and I'm, you know, pretty confident saying with one exception, I had a lot more influence as a battalion chief than I had as a fire chief. So, you know, sergeants, lieutenants, captains, battalion chiefs out there, district chiefs out there, you're listening right now, the future of the fire service is in your hands. You decide what you want the future of the service to be, and then go ahead and just do what it takes to get your organization to your vision. So I say all the time that um, really I always felt being in that officer seat. I mean, we all know the be the best position in the fire department is an EO. That's that's the best position that there is. Uh, but some of us have that itch or have that calling, whatever you want to label it, uh, to move up into that officer seat. And I, you know, I did that. I did that at a young age. I um, I busted my ass. I was a pipeman for about six years, and then I was an EO for two. And to be completely transparent, I was looking around at who was signing up to take the captain's test, and I was flat out like, man, I don't want to drive any of you guys. And yeah. so that's why I ended up going through the process to to take on that officer role, and it was, it was a lot of hard lessons. I... I would say, you know, I mean, obviously, I, I I survived it. I did all right. I've heard I've had a pretty good reputation, so I think I did okay at the job. But um, it was it was a lot of hard shit that I had to learn quickly. Uh, on the job training is is just kind of dumbing it down. But that's really how it was because uh, it was such a huge jump, and the area that I worked in was one of the fastest developing areas in the state of Texas at that time. They were There was over a 1,000 people. Um, with the stats that I heard was like almost a 1,000 people a day moving into that district. During the time period yeah. that I was there, I saw over 10,000 rooftops built, a major thoroughfare highway built, and I, I don't even know how many different commercial properties from Academy Sports and Outdoors to all your different furniture stores, apartment complexes, all that. It was just mass development happening in that area. So you go from taking a captain's position essentially at a half um, residential slash rural district. We covered about 58 square miles where half of it was non, it wasn't hydrogen. You, you know, had grass fires and woods fires and some barn fires and trailer house fires. And then the other half is complete development subdivisions where you're having single story and two story residential fires uh, when lightning would strike and stuff like that. Uh, not to mention just a lot of high mechanism of injury wrecks that were taking place in that area due to that new highway coming through. The average speed was probably 85 miles an hour. Everybody was hauling ass through there. So it was just to go and go through that transition, it was basically balls to the walls on the, on the learning curve. And I left that department 
Uh, basically, I, I took a lateral move because, uh, to be completely honest, I've talked about it on other shows, but the way that that department was is um, district chiefs and up were all one large family. So I knew yeah. that I was capped. If you weren't in the family, you weren't getting past captain because that was the last tested position. So I had an opportunity to take a lateral transfer and take a, a captain spot on the other side of Houston, on the east side, which was um, completely in the city. No rule at all. Major metropolitan, you know, large-scale apartment complexes, uh, just you name it, it was in that district. It was honestly, it was an amazing district to work in as a firefighter because we covered part of the Houston Ship Channel was our southern line. Uh, so from you had everything from maritime, industrial, all on the ship channel, to major commercial with multiple Walmarts, Lowe's, retail stores, all, all the big box stores and that stuff, to schools and a college campus, to all your residential that you could possibly imagine. And so going, even taking that transition, where my average in route time at my old department, say, could be 7 to 10 minutes, now my in route time is 45 seconds to 2 minutes. And yeah. being a first-in officer trying to uh, get my shit together, uh, you know, and, and getting geared up, and then all that stuff and processing, going through your MBT, reading your call notes, uh, checking out your, you know, your pre-instant plans. If there was one for that, that structure, all that shit in 45 seconds. It was a mass learning curve. Um, and I believe that I was pretty successful. Kept everybody alive. Nobody got hurt. You know, I think I did okay. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of officers out there, or. EOs, young pipemen, whatever you want to call it, that that are in the service right now, that are really, really, really pushing for that promotion. And to be quite frank, I, I think that there's a lot of people wanting to ride in that captain seat that that honestly they're not ready for it. They're not ready for that level of learning curve. They're not ready for that level of responsibility. Um, for even you know even the legal aspects and the legal ramifications that come in place for the decisions that you make. Um, so being that senior guy, being that chief that's rode in all those roles and has truly experienced the real responsi uh, responsibilities of being in those officer roles, what's something you would say to these guys that's been in like three years and think that they, they deserve a captain spot? So, so one of the things that I talk about in one of my presentations, and I think this is a great example, when you get promoted, okay, you're going to walk into the kitchen one day and everybody's talking. And as soon as you walk through the door, they're going to stop. Now, are you ready for that? Are you comfortable with that? And can you handle that? Because that's when it's going to slap you in the face that you're not one of them anymore. You are the boss. And, I mean, it, this sounds like a real simple little, you know, example. But I have seen people just about come off the rails when it happens to them because they didn't realize it. They didn't see it coming. And I'm telling you, you walk through the door and all of a sudden they stop talking and they just look at you. Well, that's what being an officer is. And if you can't just kind of shrug that off and laugh and chuckle about it and then just go about your business and not let it affect you, then you're not ready to move up. And it, it, it is. I mean, it's a real slap in the face. But it's something guys and women need to think about. If you're going to take that step, then that's all part of it. You've got to be the boss. You know, you're going to have to reprimand people. You're going to have to make decisions that people are not going to like. Mm -hmm. And they're going to push back on you. 
Well, you know, I'm sorry, but that's what the job entails. And I don't think that we spend enough time. I, I think part of the problem with the issue that you just described is chiefs, excuse me, chiefs don't spend enough time talking to people about what the position is really all about. It's not about sitting in the right front seat, blowing the air horn and talking on the radio. It's about all these other type of things. You know, if you're the boss and you're going to have somebody come to your company that you don't like, you know, I mean, they, they, you know, they have mannerisms about them. They've got a reputation. I mean, you just outright don't like them. When you're a firefighter, you can afford to say, well, I don't really like that guy. <laughs> but when you're the boss, you can't say that. You know, that, that, can't, that can't factor in to any decision that you make. So if you're, you know, if you're going to pursue a promotion, these are the top questions you got to ask yourself. And if you're not totally comfortable, hang out and be a fireman for a little bit. There's nothing wrong with that. Being AO for a little bit, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're going to step up, then you know you got to step up, man. You got to step up and and understand that you may very well go to work for a chief like me. Okay, so when you step up, you know I have never seen a picture. At a promotion ceremony, when the person getting made had somebody standing there with a gun to their head, you chose to take you chose to take the promotion, so you do your job. If you don't do your job, then you're going to have to deal with me. So do your job, and if you're not comfortable in all those different things that I just described, don't 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 take the promotion <laughs> because. What I just described is really what being an officer is all about. You know, when I first got made as a battalion chief, I had a guy, my, my, my chief didn't like people wearing baseball hats. And he made it clear, you know, and that was just him. That, that was, you know, his button. But I had a guy on my platoon that wanted to wear a baseball hat. So I, you know, I wrote this big thing up. I championed it. I called the chief. I asked him if he could have, a, if I could have a meeting with him. I sat down. I gave him my report, and he pushed the report back across the desk. And he looked at me. And he says, "You know, Dennis, I told you when we had this casual conversation not to bring this up. Okay, I told you you don't have to fight every last fight they want you to have, and I told you." That as an officer, you need to be loyal to me. Now, why am I sitting here with this memo? And what are we going to do about it? And, man, I learned. I mean, I, I reached over. I ripped the thing up. I threw it in the trash can. And I said, all right, boss, I got it. And I went back to the firehouse, and I just told the guy, I said, listen, it's not going to happen. Okay? <laughs> and, they would keep, you know, and they kept on pushing me. Well, yeah, what did you do? And I got to the point where, you know, the Texas guys will appreciate this. I would just answer them with, how about them cowboys? <laughs> I, because the, the discussion was had, and I learned all those things. Now, I got to tell you, there was like 10 minutes in this conversation that were like the most uncomfortable 10 minutes of my life. And I mean, I spent two and a half years jumping out of airplanes 
with the 82nd Airborne Division. And I'm telling you right now, this time, this 10-minute conversation was a hell of a lot more uncomfortable than jumping out of an airplane at 800 foot, 3 o'clock in the morning with 100 pounds hanging off of you. <laughs> that's crazy, that's, isn't it? Well, but that's what being an officer is all about. And I would say to people, if you're not ready for all of this, then stay where you are until you can work through these issues in your own mind to say, yeah, I'm ready. And why not promote the chief? I mean, I came out number one on the chief's list. I mean, I scored a 49 out of 50 points on the tactical. I was a captain at the heavy rescue. I had a solid reputation in the fire department. I mean, I, I was a go-getter, you know, as a company officer. But then I made another promotion that, you know, I really had to learn how everything works. And, you know, when you're, you know, when you're number one on the list, you're probably coming from a good position in your rank. Right? Mm -hmm. So that's another thing that, you know, people need to understand. And it's just like sports, okay? You, you can be all state in high school, and when you go to the University of Texas, you're number five on the depth chart. <laughs> because, there's, because there's four people above you that are built like Coke machines with heads on top of them that could rip you apart like a wishbone. So, oh, you know, you've been riding this crest for four years being the stud in high school, but now you're Division One, and you're on the bottom of the depth chart. When you get promoted, the same thing happens. So you've got to be comfortable with, you've got to be able to do your job, but you also have to learn how to do your job. And there's going to be some very, there's going to be some stumbles and some very uncomfortable times. So you've got to be able to accept that and work through it. That's absolutely the truth. Um, man, I love, I love what you got to say. It, it hits it at home so much because it, it's honestly, it's the hard truths. It's the hard truths. I think so many guys promote, <laughs> Uh, really just wanting that red hat and wanting the raise. Um, you yeah. know, I, I talk a lot on this show, and, and I, I do beat some firemen up uh, because I have very high expectations of firefighters across this nation. And so uh, I've always had a reputation of, of being an extremely blunt individual. I don't, I don't do very good at the politics and the sugarcoating, and that's probably why I never made chief. But the reality is I, I have very high expectations of firefighters, and... I expect them to conduct themselves no matter where they are in a certain way. And one thing about it to me is taking promotions like that strictly out of for a financial gain is the absolute worst thing that you could possibly do. Yep. That um, yep. That is 100% the truth, that you have to be the guy. When you sit in that seat, you have to be the guy that, yes, they get quiet when you walk in the room because they're expecting you to either give them an order or they know that you're in there listening to what they have to say. So they're, they're normally going to be quiet when you walk in, especially if they're talking shit on something. And let's face it, firefighters no. talk a lot of shit. So, oh yeah, it's it is very uncomfortable. And one thing that um 
you know, I, I'm all about being honest. So the guys that listen to this that worked with me, uh, I resigned from a, from a position of captain. I walked in in the chief's office and set my fucking red helmet on a chief's desk before uh, at at a municipal department after I had been a captain there for almost three years. And the real reality to my reasoning for doing that was because of the political climate, which guys could, I'm not going to name drop the department because I leave department names out there, but if they could go Google where I worked. If you really want to dig in that much, you could go Google where I was at and Google the, the climate of that city at that time, and you would understand what was going on between a mayor and just all the nasty politics and financial stuff that was going on. But one thing that was always... In the back of my mind when I rode as a captain was you are, to your guys, you have to be the representative of the administration within that crew. The orders that yes. come down from the administration, the uh, mindset and vision of that administration for the fire department, you have to be that guy that brings that to the crews and paints that picture. And what ultimately ended up becoming a gut check for me and a, um, a reality check for me is due to the political climates of the city and the fire chief and all that at that time, I could no longer morally represent the administration in that department. So I had to resign my position. And at that point, I had yep. been a captain for mm, approximately six years. And so, I mean, I was a senior captain with a good reputation. But I walked in there and I put it on the after a nasty email that came out from the fire chief that basically said, um, paraphrasing it all, but he pretty much said that the problems of the department were all the captain's fault, and and it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, guys that listen to the show have heard me talk about. You know, they they took our 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 pay was always an issue. There was there was so many different issues that were coming <laughs> from the city that um, I just I couldn't stay with it anymore, and so I walked in there and resigned that position out of integrity and honor that I could not agree with what the vision of that administration was for anymore. And I don't think a lot of guys understand that. They're looking at it as, well, it's my position. No, it's really not. It's a borrowed position. You, As soon as you retire or you leave or whatever, they're going to put somebody else in that seat and put a red hat on the next monkey that's going to yep. get in that seat. Yep. So you have to understand that when you take on that responsibility, you have to be the representation of whatever policies that come down from the chief, whatever memos that come down from the chief and if it's stuff that you're never going to job with or you can't physically do then that position is not for you because you're yeah. never going to do your guys justice and you're honestly going to destroy your reputation when it comes to the chiefs or destroy your reputation and your ability to promote later on because they're going to say well hell that guy can't ever follow a damn policy that guy he, he didn't do anything I asked him to do. And so you get labeled as a shitbag because, like you said, every position you move into, it's it's essentially starting over. You, you might have been great at this role, but when you move in that new role, it's a whole new realm. It's a whole new world. And you have to build your reputation and build your skills and abilities in that new position. And if it comes down to the hard stuff, you cave because you can't do it because it either is against your, you know, what you believe in, which that's one thing, or if it's just out of your uh, ability to obtain because you don't have the experience or the education or just the flat-ass willpower to put in the work to get to that point, then that position is not for you. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I've seen this a hundred times. My advice is if you're promoting for the money, go to trade school and become a plumber. And run a, plum, run a plumbing business on your days off. You'll make more money. Just come to the firehouse. You're nine, ten days a month. 
be as good as you can when you're at work and then run your plumbing business and make your money like that. Because if you're promoting for the dollars, forget it. You know, it's not going to take long for you to come to the conclusion that for you, it's just not worth it. And if you're promoting for like the status and, you know, the red hat or the gold badge or whatever, when you sit in the conference room with the fire chief and he gives you that death stare and he pushes his paper back <laughs> across the table at you, you know, it's a, it's a real, it's a real eye opener. And, you know, sometimes people don't realize like the bigger you, you know, the more you climb, the more serious the game gets. You know, one of the reasons why the chief was so pissed off at me for doing this, and I see it now, we were a city of 80,000 people in 23 square miles. We had 18-story high-rises. We had an interstate highway. We had the Jersey Turnpike. I mean, we had industrial. We had a high-speed train line that ran into center city, Philadelphia. And when the chief was on vacation... And I was working, I was it, you know, so the chief had to entrust me with the lives of 80,000 people in a very complex environment. So he had some real high expectations, and one of them was for me to understand and follow through on what he wanted. And I had, you know, and I learned that lesson the hard way, man. And people that promote that don't think about that, they're going to end up with a rude awakening one day where the battalion chief's going to walk in or the fire chief's going to walk in. And, man, you're going to have to go behind a closed door and have a real difficult conversation because you're moving up in the organization. And when you move up in the organization, you know, you get more money you get more trappings of office, but the level of trust that the organization has in you increases dramatically. And when you get into a chief officer rank, they're trusting you with the entire city. So there's not a lot of room to say, I, no, my bad, you know, yeah, you know, that wasn't a good decision. We're just going to move on. Bad decisions <clears throat> as a company officer... <clears throat> You don't get to make a whole bunch of that because if you demonstrate you don't have the ability to make good decisions, man, if you're working for any type of chief officer, you're not going to be in position long. And that's the way it is. And we sure. are, once again, once again, we'll talk to the young and upcoming officers about these type of things enough before they even take the test. You know, and, and, I, and I guarantee you, if you brought me in to a fire department and all, you know, they, they put out the list, they put out the notice, we're going to give a test in 60 days. <clears throat> well, have me come in 45 days before the test and have this conversation. I guarantee you a couple of people in the room won't take the test because they never thought about it. So they, sure. they won't take the test, <clears throat> which quite honestly is a good thing for them and a good thing for the fire department. Absolutely, so, it is. Yeah. So I think, you know, going back to the, you know, going back to, you know, the, your question about, you know, what are we saying to people who, you know, may be promoting too soon? I think we say all the things that I just said and tell them to think about it because that's the real world. That is absolutely the real world. 
It absolutely is. Yeah, it's there's a there's a big difference between uh, forgetting to mop the floors and making tactical command decisions that cost people lives. That that's a that's drastic difference, but that's a reality for the entire situation. I I couldn't agree more. That um that is something I really wish departments would do. Sadly, I don't know about the rest of the country, but a lot of the areas that I've worked in, just due to the growth and the demand of the departments, there's a lot of people yeah. that are being forced to take promotions. Uh, I worked for a department specifically that within 90 days of employment, you had to get your driver operator certification, and usually within the first year, you're being forced to take uh, take the EO exam to move yeah. up. And there's a lot of guys that just flat-ass didn't want to do it, and they left yeah. that department because they didn't want to drive. They wanted to ride backwards yeah. for longer. Um, so I, I think that that's a dynamic of the fire service that we need to pump the brakes on and quit forcing people to take on these responsibilities that they're truly just not ready for that. That is a real, that that's a reality that people need to get. And especially when you do step into any kind of position, whether it's a captain or anything where you are truly in a command decision, whether it's your decision, whether guys turn left or turn right that you need to look hard in the mirror and understand that that has consequences. And if you can't accept those consequences, then it's not the position for you. So, uh, so in our promotional process, like the last, the last element was, you know, one on one interview between me and the candidates. And one of the questions I always ask, you know, you know, cause we have lieutenants and captains so lieutenants are, you know, that's the first level of company officer. And I'd ask, you know, I'd sit there and I'd ask the candidate, I'd say, hey, listen, man, um, your second day on shift, you've got a female firefighter. She walks into your office uh, five minutes after shift change and says, I can't take it anymore. I'm going to kill myself. What are you going to do? Mm. Well, what are you going to do? <laughs> hey, hey, you're the boss, you know. Now, you've come into a new command, and the backstory is, She's been a victim of a hostile work environment under her other captain for the last three years. And she's just at a breaking point. She comes in your office and she goes, I can't take it anymore. I'm going to kill myself. What are you going to do? <laughs> and, I say, and I say that because, once again, that's things that we don't talk to prospective officers about. And, and then I always say, you know, when I ask that question, you know, and we, you know, and it really takes people back. But, you know, we, you know, I just spend some time talking and coaching and mentoring people in this interview. And then I ask them, I say, listen, let me ask you something. Is that, is, is what I just threw out there a possible scenario? Is it something that could happen? And everyone I've ever asked that question to said, yeah, it really could. And I never really thought about it, Chief. It absolutely well, could. I've been in that room before. It can absolutely yeah. happen. It didn't happen with a female, but it happened with, with a young man that was working for me. It absolutely can. Yeah. You can also walk but, in and, and have a guy come in and tell you that they're having uh, you know, addiction problems or alcohol problems uh, outside the workplace that, that's hindering their ability to work, and they're seeking yeah. help for that. That's a real reality right now. Yeah. Um, I, what do you I, do? I know. <laughs> If you're if you're a young cat that's never lived any kind of life and doesn't have a way to relate to that shit, there's no book that tells you how to deal yeah. with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you know that's 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 all part of being an officer, yo. And you stay well. I'll I'll call HR and we'll go to EAP with him. Well, yeah, of course. But you know it's that interaction you're going to have in that first couple minutes to try 
to, you know, let this person know they have value, you care about them, you're concerned about them, you want to help them, you want to coach them, you know, how, how, how are you going to come across to them? And, you know, you may be the first person of authority they ever truly brought this problem to. Mm-hmm. And you say, well, man, I don't know what to say. Let's just call EAP. <laughs> oh, well, you know. Okay, yeah. well, so so I really am out here on the limb by myself. Hey, man, I was just kidding. I'm good. Don't worry about it. And then they go home the next day and they kill themselves. You know, but these are all things that officers need to think about, and they're all things that officers need to be prepared to deal with. You know, God. so actually, you know, yeah. that's my thought. Oh, it's a. I mean, that's a hundred percent. That <laughs> that's happened to me. Uh, and you know, I'm, I'm a young guy in in comparison on that, but that I have had that I've had guys come to me and talk to me about some addiction problems and stuff. And luckily, uh, I've lived a lot of life and I've done things that, you know, most folks wouldn't necessarily be proud of, especially my mom, but, um, being able to at least have that conversation and be able to be understanding. And, you know, a lot of people may not like this shit, but it's just a reality. Sometimes those people come to you because they feel like they can trust you and you need to be that person that they can trust. You don't need to take every single thing that somebody comes and confides in you, especially in that aspect. You don't need to run straight to the chief about it and use it as dirt against that. Some thinking that you're going to get a a feather in your cap for being chief's boy and and get a pat on the back. Oh, thanks for telling me because then all you're doing, because I'm going to be completely honest all you're doing is ruining that person's life to the point that they will go commit suicide. Some yeah. things, yeah. some things you have to take into consideration that you just need to be that confided or person that they can confide in, and they're giving you that opportunity because that you look like a trustworthy person. You're their officer, and you really you might be right. They're, they, you are the only person that they feel. That is going to be, you know, out on that limb with them. And so being able to relate to them and and show them like, hey, man, you know, like I get it. I 100 percent get it. That's that's one aspect that I have. And I don't I don't encourage everybody to go and and walk that that type of life at all, especially if you're already a firefighter. You don't need to go get mixed up in that kind of shit. But um, yeah, if you have had that level of life experience of whether it's, you know, partying a lot or having some sort of substance abuse or going through divorce or going through a custody situation where shit is just your basically your entire life of having your children and everything is hanging in the balance of some judge. That's a level of stress that most people can't understand. And so when someone comes yeah. to you and says, man, you know, I'm going through this divorce, shit is falling apart, I'm probably going to have to file bankruptcy, I'm losing all my shit, Captain, what the fuck do I do? You have yeah. to have the ability to have that conversation. If that conversation scares you or you don't have an answer for it, then that's probably not the role for you at this time. You need to pump yeah. the brakes and go, go. I, I want to say live a little bit, but just understand that you're not ready for that role. It's, it's kind of like... Uh, you know, I, I've got a six-month-old now, and I can tell you 100% without a shadow of a doubt, my oldest that I have biologically is 10 years old. I had her when I was 22. The parent that I am and the understanding that I have now at 32, almost 33 years old with my six-month-old versus the dad that I was at 22 is 
it, totally it's completely it's completely different worlds. Yep. And yep. Um, I feel the exact same way when it comes to being in that officer role. I, I really do view being an officer uh, as being a parent. You're the parent of the. You're gonna have. They're your babies. Uh, they're your team. They're gonna look up to you because you are the role model for the crew. Without a doubt, you are the role model. So. Having that understanding that these guys are going to confide in you in everything in their life, if you're not willing to be able to offer some advice or at least be understanding or it doesn't make you feel uncomfortable to have someone come to you and yeah. confide in you in, in those type of life situations, then it's just not your time yet. Give it a little bit. Yeah. Let your maturity yeah. and your professionalism catch up, and then you can be ready for that role. All these things factor in. I mean, and, and everybody always asks me, well, you know, how would you answer that? How, you know, how would you answer that issue, you know, if you were that officer? And what I would say is, okay, listen, right now, this is this moment in time, right now. You know, are you safe? Do I need to take the company out of service? If I do, I'm going to have to call somebody. Can you make a run right now? I mean, where, you know, where are you? right now you got to level with me so that i can help you and that's how that's the first thing that i would say in that type of situation but you know that just comes from experience and dealing with things like this before you know and make sure you know, you're be. safe hey you know, they, they, yeah they may not be you know and and if they're not then you know maybe you know you got to take the company out of service maybe you have to use your internal resources may maybe you got to have some type of plan i can't give a a a blanket answer because every organization is different. Right. So I can't speak to what your particular resources are, but I would say that, you know, you got to be able to convey to those people is listen, we're going to live in this moment right now. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm here. You can trust me. Let's figure out what we have to do in this block of time in the next 10 minutes and then the next hour and the next, couple hours and let's just kind of work this one bite at a time to make sure you're okay so but anyhow no yeah, as yeah you know, without we, a doubt yeah we, we kind of got down the rabbit hole on that one but you know but that all, all these things that we just talked about for 45 minutes goes back to that initial question about what do we say to people who may be promoting too early well, we say all these things, and then we ask them, are you ready for these? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and like I said, I guarantee you, if a department was to bring me in 30 days before the test and give me an hour to speak with the candidates, there's a couple people in the room that would not take the test because they would just realize, you know, I would be able to give them the information they need to make a good decision for themselves, which is, hey, man, I'm not really ready for this. For sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I think that we, we truly do lack, because guys just think, okay, well, to be a captain, all I need to do, especially your civil service departments, I beat them up a lot, yeah. but just because yeah. I, I see the promotional process in those civil civil service departments, and, and to be perfectly honest, I don't necessarily agree with it, because all you're telling those guys is essentially all they need to do to be worthy of that captain or that EO or that chief's position is memorize this, whatever our list of books is, memorize that, come in here and be able to answer the questions out of those books, and you're it. That's it. That's all you need to do, and it's so far from the truth because 
There's every aspect. Yeah, you can say you're tested for EO and you can read that book and it can tell you all your friction loss bullshit and all those different things. Yeah, it can tell you all of that. But can it tell you the stuff about your specific apparatus? Can it tell you about the stuff what? about your specific streets and the dynamics of your district and your crew? Can it tell you that, yeah, that friction loss in that book and these coefficients and all that stuff, which, hell, I can't even spell coefficient, but can it tell you all that, but you got a 100-pound female on the end of that line, so every fucking thing that that book tells you is actually wrong because you can't pump her at that or you'll beat the shit out of her. Yeah. It, it can't... Well, I no, go ahead. Finish, finish up. Go I, ahead. I was just gonna say you. It, it's it's not. It's a, a decent baseline, but it's not the end all sure. be all to these promotions. And guys yeah. need yeah. that vision painted by, uh, you know, whether it's an outside source like you coming in or their current company officers and chiefs. They've got to paint those visions to make it realistic because it is truly life and death. And the biggest thing I think that gets lost in all fire departments for the most part is the fact that we are we are every single one of us is a human being first and a firefighter second and that human being that person has to be catered to and has every single little different individualism about them that they're bringing to the table with them on a day in and day out basis and that has to be taken care of before the patch or the the badge or any of that other shit comes into effect but now i got to put my chief's hat on for a moment, and let's circle back to something you talked about. Some agencies have to grow, okay? The dynamics of the community, they have to grow. Now, don't, you know, if you accept everything that I've talked about, or if you accept a fraction of the core, a, a fraction of what I talked about, don't get all upset if the chief wants to go outside the organization to recruit candidates for these positions because they may not have anybody internally ready to step up. And I'm just trying to, you know, speak my mind as a chief. Look, if I've got growth going on in my city and I've got to staff five engines, i got to staff five engines. You know, I can't go to the new housing development and say, hey, listen, you know that new firehouse that you all pay for and that $800,000 fire truck, I don't have enough people to put on it. So, you know, if your house catches on fire, good luck. <laughs> the engine's coming from the other side of the city. As a chief, I've got a staff based on what the needs of my community are. And if I don't have the internal candidates, then maybe I have to have the courage to go to the outside and recruit. You know, allow the internals to compete too. But I know my people. I mm -hmm. know who is and who isn't ready. And, you know, we, we have these conversations, everybody, yeah, 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 you're right, you're, you're right, Dennis, you're absolutely right. But as soon as the chief wants to go outside for these positions, oh, he can't do that, oh, this is bullshit, oh, hey, you know, he forgot where he came from, hey, he needs to take care of us. You know, you can't have it both ways. And these are complex conversations to have. And sometimes we have to view the conversation from behind the chief's desk because the city's growing and I got to staff these fire engines. And I got to staff these fire engines with folks who can get the job done. And if I have a very young force that's not ready, then maybe I need to consider. But, um, you know, these are, the, these are the tough things that the Chiefs got to figure out. 
For sure. And I and to be perfectly honest, I think that's a responsible thing. I, I have taken part in departments that uh, did take lateral officers because they realized that their their firefighter force lacked the experience. And so yep. they, they reached out from the outside. They put it for out for outside candidates. And it was truly, that was a responsible decision because I know a lot of people, you, you say, you know, that people say, well, he forgot where he came from. A lot of people get caught in this, this mentality of, well, I've been here so long. I have the seniority because I've been at this agency for such and such however many years. What people don't realize is the hard fucking truth on that. And years of service doesn't always equate experience. Yep. And if you are coming, say you've been at like the, the department I, I described earlier, you could have been at that department for 10 years prior to me getting there. 10 years prior to me getting there, they fought nothing but grass fires, several woods fires, and ran some EMS calls. Well, now... They have a rapid development of major commercial, major residential, multifamily homes, and all this shit. A guy that's been at that department has never experienced that. Like, for instance, there was a huge stink that was going on at that department because they had ordered a ladder truck. You had, a, a for lack of better terms, a dick measuring contest that was going on amongst all the current employees saying, well, I've been here such and such long, I want to ride the ladder truck. Okay, but you've never rode a ladder truck before, and the day that that apparatus gets put in put in service, it's in service. It's not put in service for you to learn ladder operations. It's put yep. in service to perform. So having to go to an outside agency and recruit a senior captain. So we, with the places that I worked, we had junior captains rode the pumpers, senior captains rode the ladders. We kind of emulated Houston Fire Department in that aspect. Um, so you had to have guys that either had firefighter ladder company experience or senior captain experience of knowing how to command on a ladder truck. This was yeah. not it wasn't a dig at anybody personally, but you can't claim the years that you had been at that department, they're not relevant to today's demand. So I think a chief looking at that, sitting behind his desk, understanding that growth and dynamic is going to have to make that hard decision. And yeah, it's going to piss people off. But if you put it in those terms, like this is not a dig at you, but you've never right. rode a ladder truck before. So I I can't responsibly put you in charge of a ladder company when you've never done that. How would I be doing the community justice? It, it, it Honestly, at that point, it's an ego thing for you because you feel insulted that someone from the outside came and took the position you wanted. But it's not in the best interest of the community. Yep. So I'll tell you what my experience is with that. We did that. And, you know, going to the outside, we, you know, we recruited lateral and we let them compete with our internals. And what ended up happening is our internals turned the game up. Because really? now they realize, yeah, they, 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 they just, they rocked it, man. I mean, we, you know, the notice went out 90 days ahead of time. And... Our folks, they really, they jumped up. I mean, we made some training available to them. They jumped up. They smoked the outside candidates on the test. And to this very day, some of those people are still in that organization, best officers the organization has. So there is an upside if you manage it the right way. And it will motivate the go-getters to say, okay, well, you know, hey, it's not necessarily going to be my turn. It's what I earn. So there's well, always there's an upside. Wrong with that. There's absolutely nothing yeah. wrong with that. that and that, nope. by doing that, yeah, it absolutely turned their game up. 
And yeah. had you not done that, they might have uh, fallen into being that guy you talked about at the beginning of the show that's sitting in the lazy boy all night long and being a slug. But by forcing yeah. their hand, you were able to get, get some shit done. I, I mean, I absolutely agree with that. I think that that is uh, very responsible to do, and the outcome ends up suiting everybody. But foremost, yeah. it, it takes care of the community and puts the proper asses in the proper seats to provide the best care that the taxpayers are paying for and not a buddy promotion, not a, well, I've been here this long promotion. It's a no, you earned this promotion. Yep. Yeah. That's what I've always strived to do when I promote people is, you know, find that best person and put them in the best position that they can fit into and thrive in. So. Yep. Hundred percent. Well, Dennis, uh, I could talk to you all night, but I don't want to take up all your time. So, how about we uh, we just plan for another show and uh, and get you on again to just keep diving into some more of this because I love I love the input that you have and and really hearing all this from an older guy, hearing all this from a chief. Um, it's it's really refreshing for me, and it it links the generations. And I think that that is so important of what we have going on right now is is a there, there's a break in generations. You know, everybody wants to say the next generation yeah. is lazy and the worst thing that ever came along. So being able to have people on like you that that we can link this and and paint the picture for the whole fire service to understand, like, hey, we're all we all have the same yeah. mindset. We're all wanting the same things. Let's all strive and and lock arms together and get the shit done. Well, I, I, it'd be my pleasure anytime, man. It'd be my pleasure. For sure. Well, uh, you know, let all the listeners know. I'm going to let you describe it. You know, I, I really want you to uh, to be able to get your voice out and, and travel around the country, continue doing what you're doing and, and getting out here and kicking some of these people in the in the ass with reality. Uh, so, you know, let us know what's going on with your uh, with your company, what you're doing, where you're going, your next your next gigs that you have lined up. And, and let's get some asses in the seats for you. Yeah, sure. So, uh, um, well, um, you know, I, I live down here. Uh, in Navarre, Florida, so I'm always at any of the things that C uh, County Fire Tactics does. You know, sometimes I do some of the lectures for them. A lot of times I'm just down there to try to support the conference, you know, work on logistics and whatever. Uh, I'm going to be at First In in Little Rock, Arkansas this year. Uh, I'm going to be at the Legacy Conference, which is outside San Antonio. I forget exactly where, but it's in the uh, first part of September. Uh, so I'm going to be there, and I'm trying to think what else I've got lined up. So off the top of my head, that's what it looks like. Uh, I am going to be out in Idaho at March Madness uh, next year, so I know that's coming up. And I got a couple others. As a matter of fact, if you really if you really want to come and follow. What I'm doing, uh, I'm going to put something up on my business Facebook page within the next day or two, my schedule from now into the end of the year. And that's the first line, Fire Service Training, LLC. All right, perfect. Guys, you, uh, I mean, you heard it from the man. This is coming from, from a chief, coming from a guy that's put in his years, put in his time, and he's still doing it. I mean, that's really what caught my attention. That's what made you know me want to interact back and forth and, and really get to know get to know what you are all about and I, I joke to some guys that it, it's it's hard someday sometimes this day and age you don't always see chiefs that are out there being go-getters putting in the work I, I can count on less than one hand of the amount of chiefs that I've even seen in fucking gear and you know Dennis is out there every morning retired 
out there stealing gear in the driveway putting this shit in and i think that that is so damn impressive it makes me feel like a shit bag some days because i'm like damn i gotta go to the damn gym if he's if he's out here doing this shit i gotta go to the gym so uh i mean it, but it's motivation for all of us i mean you know i'm competition competition driven as well as most firefighters are that's yep. what that's how we operate we want to be the best and you should be that you should be that way you should push the envelope until the very end until they they put your ass down in the ground you should be pushing the envelope because the shit matters if you're going to roll over and die then just roll over and die now and go ahead and get it over with because yep. if not you're going to be miserable so so I, I I'm in a circle with some pretty stout guys. I mean, and, and I don't you know I don't drop names. I just say that I'm in a circle with some pretty stout guys, and they let me sit at the table because I earn my seat every day. So on those days that I don't want to do it, man, I gotta go get it done, man, because I'm not giving up my seat that I work so hard for, and to fall out of a circle of men who love me who inspire me, who just take care of me, who wrap their arms around me and embrace me. I mean, you know, my, my wife had knee surgery, and, you know, our house looks like a funeral home now from all the flowers <laughs> that we're getting from from friends in the fire service. For sure, you know? yeah. So, so that's, you know, that's the circle that I'm in. So I'm not out there saying that I'm a badass, or I'm not trying to prove anything other than the fact that I want to earn the seat at the table that so many good, great firefighters have given me. So I'll be up in the morning, man, just at it because that's nobody cares. Just get it done. Absolutely. Well, guys, we're uh, we're definitely gonna have gonna have Dennis back on. This was this was a great a great show for me. I, I love the interaction and just being able to bounce ideas and, and compare notes and everything like that. It's, it's really refreshing to me. So y'all go follow First Line Fire Service LLC, the, the training page that he has. Get on there and, and share all of his content. I mean, he doesn't care. I, I share it. If you need to find the link yeah. for it, you go and look on Third Alarm Cowboys on our Facebook page. You're going to see I've shared several of his training videos over the last couple of weeks. Go check out his stuff. Y'all, uh, you know, Dennis, you have any other closing closing comments before I wrap it up? It's been a pleasure, man. Just thank you so much for uh, affording me a platform to, to speak my mind. Oh, absolutely. I, I absolutely love having you on. I'm glad that we were able to, to get it all lined up and you bared with me on my crazy schedule with the kids and the wife and everything I got going on. Uh, it's not always yep. easy, but I, I greatly appreciate you working with me and, and being able to get on here you know, to suit my time and basically making it convenient to me. That means the world, and, and that's really uh, it shows that your level of dedication towards making the fire service better by working with people from, hell, another part of the United States. That's, that's genuine and, and really cool. So I appreciate you coming on. Guys, go to thirdalarmcowboys.com. Follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram. Be sure and go to Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. Give us a five-star rating. That just builds it and be able, it makes us have the ability to get this word out and, and spread our good message of trying to make the fire service better and bring back the honor, integrity, and, and good hardcore to the base of their foundation firefighters this is what we need to do we need to share this message and paint the vision to every firefighter out there what the fire service is all about you heard it directly from dennis he's been in for 49 years and his wife has surgery and 
brothers from the fire service are sending flowers and reaching out and making sure that he's taken care of and his wife is taken care of. That's truly what it's all about. It's not about your t-shirt. It's not about your bumper sticker. It's not about all that. It's truly about caring for each other and taking care of each other no matter what and no matter what level that you are in the fire service. Retired, active, it doesn't matter. We're all in this shit together. And the quicker everybody realizes that, the better off that we're all going to be and the stronger our communities will be protected. And that's what it's all about. So guys, we'll see y'all in the next one. Put you right back in your place Just like old